Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Katie Barlow. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. Dr. Maya Angelou was a poet, professor, memoirist, actor, singer, author, educator, and civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetry, and appeared in numerous plays, movies, and television shows over a 65-year career. She received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. In literary circles, Maya Angelou is best known for her series of seven autobiographies, which focus on her childhood and early adult experiences. The first, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, published in 1969, tells of her life experience up to the age of 17 and brought her international recognition and acclaim. Her books center on themes including racism, identity, and family. She was active in the civil rights movement of the 1960s and worked closely with both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. On January 20th, 1993, Maya Angelou became the second poet in American history and the first African-American and woman to read a poem at a presidential inauguration when she recited her original work on the pulse of mourning at the first inauguration of Bill Clinton. She was the first poet to make an inaugural recitation since Robert Frost at the inauguration of John F. Kennedy in 1961. Angelou's audio recording of the poem won the 1993 Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word, introducing her to a whole new generation and bringing much-deserved recognition for her previous works. As evidenced by her Grammy win, Maya Angelou was as brilliant a performer as she was a writer. In 2011, she was awarded the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. But of all her awards and accolades, one of the most memorable was her 1992 commencement address at Spelman College, a private, historically black, women's liberal arts college in Atlanta, Georgia. The Spelman Messenger later wrote, Maya Angelou left an indelible mark upon the world. Her wit, wisdom, and work will continue to inspire generations of Spelman women. With that, let's listen to Grammy Award-winning poet Maya Angelou and her iconic 1992 Spelman College commencement address. Bit em in, bit em in. Bit em in, get em in. Look where he brought me from. Bit him in, get him in, bit him in. The sun is hot and mighty bright. Let's get down to business, get home tonight. Bit him in. Bit him in, bit him in, bit him in. Auctioning slaves is a real high art. Bring that young gal out here, Roy. She's good for a start. And bit him in, get him in, bit him in. 
Now here's a real goodbye at about 15. Her great-grandmammy was a die-homie queen. Look at her, she sure ain't homely. Like sheep in the Bible, she's black but comely. Bit him in, get him in, bit him in. Look where he brought us from. Oh. Hey. 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 I'm going to start at three. Can I hear three? Step up, gents. Take a good look, see. I know you'll want, want her once you see her. She's young and ripe and make a damn good breeder. Bit him in, get him in, bit him in. Look where he brought us. She's good in the field. She can sew and cook. Strip her down, Roy. Let the gentleman look. She's full up front. She's ample behind. Examine her teeth if you got a mind. Look, look. Here's a bit of three from a man who's 50. 325, can I hear 350? Your money ain't earning you much in the banks. Turn around, Roy, let him look at a flank. Bit him in, get him in, bit him in. Look, look. 350 is the bid I'm looking for four. I hear four, 400, she's a bargain show. Four is the bid, 455. Now look alive. Bit him in, get him in, bit him in. Don't mind the tears. That's one of her tricks. Turn around, boy. Can I please hear six? She's healthy and strong. She's well equipped. Make a good lady's maid when she's properly whipped. Bid them in, get them in, bid them in. At seven, I'm gonna let her go. Seven, 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 she's gone. Strip her down, Roy, and bring the next one on. Bid them in, get them in, look where he brought us from. Hey. Oh, mm. Miss Rosie, when I see you, you brown bag of a woman wrapped up in your mind like last week's grocery list, I say, Miss Rosie, when I see you sitting in your old man's shoes with the big toe cut out. When I see you, Miss Rosie, who used to be the prettiest gal in Georgia, used to be called Georgia Rose, I say, when I see you, Miss Rosie, I stand up. Because through your life and even your destruction, it is given to me to stand up. Ladies, sisters, my daughters, I'm delighted to be here. Delighted. I was so pleased when I spoke to the choir mistress and she said, yes, she would sing this song. They would try to find it. And my Lord, did they sing it. My Lord. Mm -hmm. And when your president called me and said, girlfriend, <laughs> I said, how high do you want me to jump, Janetta? Just tell me how high and when. Because I belong to you. You are mine. You are absolutely mine. I have given birth to each one of you. Because I have dreamed you. I have loved you as your parents and your aunts and your uncles and your fathers and all your teachers have loved you. We, you are created. We have invented you because we have stayed alive somehow, miraculously. 
People live in direct relation to the heroes and sheroes they have, always and in all ways. And it is imperative that you see yourselves as having been loved and are loved now. It is imperative that you do so. You are cared for. You know that the first Africans were brought to this country in 1619. I don't mean to cast dispersions on my white brothers and sisters who may or may not be in the audience, but that was, I'm not signifying either, that was one year before the Mayflower docked. <laughs> Hello? Hello? We have undergone experiences too bizarre to be included in Mr. Alex Haley's phenomenon, the book roots or in the television phenomenon roots. And yet here we are. Did you know that in 1870 and 80, there were statements made in Southern legislatures that by 1920, all blacks would be dead or gone? Here we are, upwards of 40 million, and that's a conservative estimate, because I know people who swear there are more than 40 million black people in the Baptist church. Hey, that's it. That's right. They're not even counting backsliders, AME, CME, and the three black atheists in the world. <laughs> Here we are. And you are born right out of their heads, right out of their hearts. They have loved you. You see, you have already been paid for. Isn't that amazing? Already, you do not have to pay for yourselves. We have paid for you. All those men and women who went before you have paid for you already. And young men and women, young women who are just starting into Spelman, you have been paid for. The reason you study, the reason you do the best you can, the reason you stand always as black queens with something of the, as Gwendolyn Bennett says, something of the, your queenly nature in your walk, remembering something of the sweet poignancy of your slave history in your voice. That is your history too. The reason you do so is so that you can prepare yourself, as Dr. Brown said, to pay for someone who is yet to come. That is the only, you have already been paid for because you have been loved. Now I'm sorry to say when a number of non-black people write about black people, and romantic love because they are so erroneously informed. They would have us believe that white people make love and black people just have sex. Mm, mm, mm. However, look, look at the love in the, in the literature, in the lore. This is a shred from a 19th century folk song in which a black man spoke of the woman he loved. He said, the woman I love is fat and chocolate to the bone. And every time she shakes, some skinny woman loses her home. Hey, ah, that's it, that's it, hello. Yes, yes. And a shred again, 19th century folk song in which a black woman spoke of the man she loved. This shred found its way into Mr. W.C. Handy's 20th Century Blues. The black woman sang, he's blacker than midnight. 
teeth like flags of truce. He's the finest thing in the whole St. Louis. They say the black of the berry. Sweeter is the juice. That's romantic love. But just a couple of, of romantic love poetry before I get to the self-love, which I really want you to, to realize, to have with you. Before, as you take this, uh, your diploma and your hugs and kisses from your beloveds, uh, have this too. But before I go to self-love, listen. Here's a, a romantic love poem of my favorite poet. Of course, I'm fickle, so she's my favorite right now. In another 10 minutes, I'll have somebody else. But... <laughs> Miss Georgia Douglas Johnson, 19th century black lady poet. She wrote, I want to die while you love me, while yet you hold me fair while laughter lies upon my lips and lights are in my hair, yes. I want to die while you love me. Who would care to live till love had nothing more to ask and nothing more to give? No, I want to die while you love me and bear to that still bed your kisses, turbulent, unspent, to warm me while I'm dead. Now that's lyrical poetry, ladies. That's the poetry that is in your hearts. And that's the lyricism, which is in your speech. It is all yours. You have earned it. But before that, you had it before you earned it, because it is your inheritance. Now, um, you know, I believe that self-love is very important. If you read my work, you know I'm always talking about loving oneself. I never trust anybody who tells me he or she loves me if the person doesn't love herself or himself. There's an African saying which is, be careful when a naked person offers you a shirt. <laughs> I mean, if he had something, he'd cover himself first, right? So I like to look at self-love. It is very important that it comes from within, that you have a sense of yourself so that when you walk into an office, you don't go alone. Bring your people with you. Bring everybody who has loved you with you. Say, Grandma, come on, let's go. <laughs> Great Grandpa, you've been dead all this time. Come on, let's go. I have to go in here and, and have an interview. Come on, Auntie. Come on, my friends. Come, let's go. And when you walk in, people don't know what it is about you. They can't take their eyes off you. You may not be cute in the given sense. You may not be fashion model size in that particular sense. You may not be any of those things, but they can't take their eyes off you. And they say of you uh, in, a, in this incredible way, which I don't understand, they say, I don't know, but she has charisma. No, what you have is all those people around you. <laughs> So think of that. Anytime you have anything to do, bring everybody with you that you can remember who has loved you. And then you have that sense of having been paid for. 
And when you walk in, people will say, now, I think you're overqualified. Yes, <laughs> you will have that, but you'd have that anyway. I'm sorry to say. So let us look at self-love. Um, I wrote a little poem for a woman who works in a factory. And on the face of it, you wouldn't think she had much going for her. But the poem is called Weak in Glory. She said, some dicty folks don't know the facts, posing and preening and putting on acts, stretching their necks and straining their backs. They move into condos up over the ranks. They lend their souls to the local banks. They buy big cars they can't afford then ride around town acting bored. <laughs> my job at the plant ain't the biggest bet, but I pay my bills and stay out of debt. I get my hair done for my own self's sake, so I don't have to pick and I don't have to rape. I take the church money out and then I head across town to my friend girl's house where we plan our round. We meet our men and go to a joint where the music is blues and to the point. <laughs> Folks talk about me, they just can't see how I work all week at the factory, then get spruced up and laugh and dance and turn away from worry with a sassy glance. They accuse me of living from day to day. Who are they kidding? So are they. My life ain't heaven, but it sure ain't hell. I'm not on top, but I call it swell if I'm able to work and get paid right and have the luck to be black on a Saturday night. Hey! That's it. That's it. You know, um, I want to tell you something else about love. Um, you know that black people historically, for centuries, have laughed when they weren't tickled and scratched when they didn't itch. And those gestures have come down to us as Uncle Tommy and Aunt Jemima in. Young women, I don't think we often enough stop to wonder how that black woman in the 19th century, how she felt. Every time she said, no ma'am, Miss Ann, you didn't slap me when you hurt me, I ain't tenderhearted. So she could make enough money so she could send somebody to Spelman or that black man who said, no, sir, no, sir, you ain't wrong. I sure must be stupid. So he could make enough money so he could send somebody to Morehouse, a Morris Brown, or Shaw, a Tuskegee, or Hampton Institute at the time, or Fisk. I don't think we often enough stop to wonder. I think they were successful in the employment of those humiliating ploys, or you wouldn't be here for me to talk to. And I wouldn't be here to talk to you. So we have to look where he's brought us from. Look, there's a poem by Mr. La uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar called Masks. I use it with a poem of my own, which I wrote for a black woman who's a maid in New York City, and a poem for old men on, it's a triptych. Now, this woman used to ride on the bus, and if, if, uh, she, if somebody missed the bus, she'd laugh. If someone caught the bus, she'd laugh. She'd laugh, 
until I looked at her and I thought, you know, if you don't know black features, you really would think she's laughing. She wasn't laughing. She was simply extending her lips and making a sound. <laughs> so I wrote a poem for her. Ladies, this is love. How be it brooding, how be it painful. When I think about myself, I almost laugh myself to death. My life has been one great big joke, a dance that's walked, a song was spoke. I laugh so hard, <laughs> I nearly choke when I think about myself. 70 years in these folks' world, the child I works for calls me girl. And I say, yes, ma'am, for working's sake. I'm too proud to bend, too poor to break, so I laugh. <laughs> until my stomach ache when I think about myself. And my folks can make me split my side. I laughed so hard I nearly died. The tales they tell sound just like lying. They grow the fruit, but eat the rye. Mm, I laugh <laughs> until I start to cry when I think about myself and my folks and the little children, but then, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It shades our cheeks and hides our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts, we smile and mouth myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but oh my God, our tears to thee from tortured souls arise. And we sing, but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But <laughs> let the world think otherwise. <laughs> we wear the mask. Look where we've all come from. Now, I know the thing most wanted in the world is a brief but pithy uh, commencement speech. <laughs> this is your day. But this last poem is for all our grandmothers, all of them the great-grandmothers, the great-greats, and great-great-greats. She lay skinned down on the moist dirt. Now, my grandmother, I'm sorry to say, has been dead 30 years, and Mama could sing, but uh, when you ask Mama to sing outside of the church, Mama would say, Sister Goon, you know Mama can't sing. But when she sang in the church, women would wind up their purses and throw them at the preacher. <laughs> but if you left her alone at home, she would sing, I shall not, I shall not be removed. So I, I would write, I couldn't speak at the time. I, I would write, uh, Mama, it is not removed. My grandmother would put on her glasses. She said, yes, Sister Mama, no. I, shall not, I shall not be removed. <laughs> she lay skinned down on the moist dirt, the cane brake rustling with the whispers of leaves and loud longing of hounds, 
and the crackling of hunters in near branches, she muttered, lifting her head a nod toward freedom and said, I shall not be removed. She gathered her babies, their tears slick as oil on black faces, their young eyes canvassing mornings of madness. Mama, is master gonna sell you from us tomorrow? Yes, unless you keep walking more and talking less, yes unless the keeper of our lives releases me from all commandments. Yes, and your lives, never mind to live, will be executed on the killing floor of innocence. Unless you match my heart and words, say with me, I shall not be moved. In Virginia tobacco fields, in the red hills of Georgia, into the palms of her chained hands, she cried against calamity, saying, you have tried to destroy me. And although I perish daily, I shall not be moved. Her universe summarized into one black body falling finally from the tree to her feet made her cry each time in a new voice, all my past hastens to defeat. Strangers claim the glory of my love. Iniquity has bound me to his bed. Still, I shall not be moved. She heard the names swirling ribbons in the winds of history. Nigger, bitch, heifer, mammy, property, creature, ape, baboon, hot tail, thing, it. She said, my description cannot fit your tongue. I have a certain way of being in this world and I shall not be moved. No angel stretched protecting wings above the heads of her children, fluttering and urging winds of reason into the confusion of their lives. They sprouted like young weeds. She could not shield their growth from the grinding blades of ignorance, nor shape them into symbolic topiaries. She sent them away overground, underground, in coaches, barefoot. She said, when you learn, teach. When you get, give. As for me, I shall not be moved. She stood in mid-ocean, seeking dry land, searching God's face. Assured, she placed her fire of service on the altar, and although clothed in the finery of faith and Samite, when she appeared at the temple door, no sign welcomed black grandmothers into here. Into the crashing sound, into the wickedness, she said, no one, nor no one million ones dare to deny me God. I enter as one and 1,000. The divine upon my right impels me to pull forever at the latch of freedom's gate. These mama and grandmama and great-grandmama faces, lemon yellow, plum purple, honey brown, have grimaced and twisted down pyramids of lit years. She stands today before the abortion clinic, confounded by lack of choice, in the welfare line, reduced to the pity of handouts, ordained in the pulpit, shielded by the mysteries, in operating rooms, husbanding life, in the choir loft, holding God in her throat, on lonely street corners, hawking her body, in classrooms, loving children to understanding. Centered on the world stage, she sings to her loves and beloveds, to her foes and detractors, however I am perceived or deceived, however my ignorance or conceits, lay aside your fears that I will be undone, for I shall not be moved. Look where we've all come from. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. Please 
rate and review Words Matter at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.